0: I guess ever since our ancestors came over here, swamps were the places to avoid and with fair reason, because they were these kind of breeding grounds for mosquitoes and things that bit. Um, But what we have started to realize now, uh, well, and also now we have DEET and we have long sleeve shirts and we have things that can combat all the things that bite. What we've realized now, as we begin to study these habitats is that these are critical wildlife refuges places that not only house unique species and species that are now imperiled some are even endangered but they're also these water recharge areas for for our watersheds where we get our drinking water um, for me these are the playgrounds for my childhood I mean I grew up in Florida so my backyard wilderness was swamp that's just what I that's what I knew as normal so we'd go out all the time we'd play in the trees and hang out look for uh native american artifacts and fossilized sharks teeth and and that was just a place that i learned to call as normal so i grew up knowing that when you get into a body of water there are going to be alligators there and there's a good chance that there are going to be water moccasins or uh, rattlesnakes and those are just kind of things you learn to accept and you learn to pay attention to Um, then as I get older and I started learning that swamp is a four-letter word for a lot of people, that these are the places that they want to stay away from and that they're spooky and dangerous. And that has had a really negative impact on the future for swamps and for these wetlands. Because the moment that the public stops caring about these places, the moment that they don't care if one gets destroyed or clear-cut and then built over for a golf course or for a strip mall, which is kind of the story of the southeast, really. And so we've lost a lot of critical habitat and um, a lot of linkages to, to our natural and our cultural heritage down in the southeast. And I think that's why I really like going into them, because to me, it feels like a link to the past in a way, you know, you, you go into these areas where you have old growth trees that are 1500 years old, and it just feels like you're walking into uh, where the wild things are book. I think, so for me, I love to read but I really like to look at photos and and I'm probably biased in that because I'm a photographer and the way that I learn is I learn visually and experientially and so my goal with photography is try to take people that wouldn't otherwise come into these areas and would have no other excuse to go see these animals or learn their behaviors or learn these interactions and these connections between wildlife and landscape, my job is to make images that pique the public's curiosity so that they can then get on board and at least start learning about it. And when you start learning about it, I think it's inevitable that you're going to care about it because these species and these interactions and these landscapes are fascinating. Um, so my job is to take the way I feel about these places and try to inject them into, into the public. And I think photography is a great way to do that because it's a very concise, it's a single frame. And if you can capture the moment correctly, I think you can really kind of reach past someone's head and, and hit their heart. We. We live now in a, in, in a truly global society. I mean, we have people traveling from all over the place and moving into different places and coming in, leaving, coming in, leaving. And what happens is as you open up these, these geographical areas to not only people, but when you transport boats and when you start trading in pets and you start trading in plants, and a lot of us have you know non-native species living in our house, these decorative plants. A lot of times what can happen is you get these unforeseen consequences of inviting invasive species or exotic species into into a geographical area that has been formed over the eons right so this is particularly bad in these port areas of of our country especially in the coastal areas where you have lots of injection from different areas especially in the subtropical region because in florida what has become a huge issue is exotic invasive species. And we have over 300 exotic invasive species in Florida right now. I mean, anywhere you walk, you walk into, you know, through a park, you're gonna see, uh, you're gonna see brown anoles, you're gonna see Cuban tree frogs. You might even see an Argentinian tegu. You will see fire ants. And all those species came from different areas. So what happens is it might not seem like that big of a deal But when you consider that these animals that are native to Florida or native to any other region, they have evolved and they have grown up in this space, learning to coexist and learning the balance of life within their little kind of food pyramid. When you start all of a sudden introducing these new species that has no competition, that these existing native species have never seen before, you wind up having big, big problems in terms of the balance of the the ecology of the area. So one of the big issues now that we hear all the time in the news are about the Burmese pythons. And that's exactly what has happened. We start having Burmese pythons because people like to have them as pets and then they learn that, oh, they get 17 feet long, can't really keep them in my one-bedroom apartment, let's just see how the Everglades handles them. and. Unfortunately, the Everglades has been really hospitable to these Burmese pythons because you have rabbits and raccoons and deer that have never seen this thing before, never known to fear it, never known to hide from it. And all of a sudden you have these Burmese pythons populations that are exploding, exploding. They think that they're anywhere from 5,000 to 250,000 individuals. And so when you consider that gap of 5,000 to 250,000, you just know that one, Burmese pythons are extremely capable of being able to camouflage and hide and being able to reproduce. And at the same time, we're not exactly sure how to control them. So I think it's really important for people to understand that these native populations that define the region, where we are, where we live and where we travel to, they're worth protecting. And as much as we might like the colorful lionfish and we might like, you know, the exotic species to have in our in our house, that does have a real consequence and we don't always realize that. So the, so the Everglades is probably, when we're talking about swamps and wetlands uh, in the United States, I, I would think the Everglades is very much the iconic wetland and swamp that we have in, in the country. And it's iconic for a number of reasons. One is that it's There's a national park at the southern end of it, and two, it represents what wilderness is in the southeast. Um, So it's this connected area from central Florida all the way down to south Florida, and it's a watershed. Historically, it was a watershed that expanded 100 miles long by 50 miles wide. And when you think of Florida, you're not thinking of mountains and rivers and things but it is very much a river in that it's a very slow flowing river that just drains slowly with the topography of the state. Now what happened uh, when we came over to Florida and we started exploring it and we wanted our pioneers to come and start cultivating it because our our idea of conservation not too long ago was to drain a wetland and make room for agriculture and development. What they did is they started draining off parts of that swamp and part of that wetland. And I'm gonna say swamp and wetland interchangeably here even though they're very different. But what they did is they started draining off pieces of that watershed, pieces of that wetland so that they could plant their crops. Well, what we realize now, now that we have studied exhaustively the, the, the Everglades watershed, we know that you can't have a functional estuary without freshwater inputs You know, because the saltwater becomes uh, the salinity levels become too high so what we did when we started draining it we really deprived that southern region of all that fresh water and it had dire consequences for the whole watershed moving south we started learning all these connections between different species uh, the everglades snail kite even the alligators that seem like they're so hardy and resilient they actually depend on that very seasonal fluctuation of water And so now that we've realized we've really damaged the watershed for for no good reason other than um, poor water management policy and kind of built on this archaic system of just drain as much as possible we're now looking to spend billions of dollars to re-establish the river of grass to connect that watershed all the way through to the southern region not only to benefit the drinking water of the seven million people that live in South Florida, but also the wildlife and the the natural everglades so one pretty much everybody agrees on restoring the everglades that's it's a It's a point of national pride I think for a lot of people in this country because it represents you know one of those last wild bastions you know of the country, places that are uncolonized and unaffected, uh, even though it has been very poorly affected by bad water management policies. So one of the things that people have been saying, they say, well, okay, you know, with climate change and with rising sea levels, if we're going to spend millions and billions of dollars to restore this watershed, isn't it all going to become underwater anyway by rising sea levels? And, you know, why bother basically? And the best argument for that is that over time, these coastlines have changed, right? They've, they've, they've fluctuated and they've done it slowly over, over eons, right? Over centuries that they have been able to fluctuate. And when you expand that timeline to allow plants and animals to move, because plants and animals do move, it will move inland, then that gives time for them to buffer it out so they can start moving in and reestablishing. But now with these rising sea levels that are happening at such exceedingly fast rates, you don't really give the wildlife or the, the plants uh, time to move inland. But the best combatant against rising sea levels is actually that hydraulic pressure from fresh water moving south. So if we restore those two-thirds of the water that's supposed to come back down to Florida Bay, it'll actually take it instead of a 10-year timeline of you know rising three feet, they'll ex- extend it to more of like a 50 or a 60 year timeline, which enables plants and animals to you know, adjust. So it's not enough just to say, we should just give up on it because rising sea levels. There's very much, uh, there's a lot of work we can still do. And that's ignoring the fact that these, these freshwater flows are actually recharging the aquifer that gives the drinking water to millions uh, of Floridians. I'm passionate about these areas and these wetlands and these swamps, like i said because because I grew up there, and these were my backyard habitats and I think no matter where you where you're from, there are areas that are that are near your home, whether you live in a city or not, there are areas that are near your home that are indicative and better represent the place that you call home better than any you know strip mall or veterinary shopping center could ever do and I think that these wilderness areas and these places that that have the true roots of of our hometown are the places that will inevitably create a real sense of pride and ownership for that home and so I think it's important for people to go out and see what makes what makes their home unique a lot of people come and move to Florida because the climate's nice Well, the climate is is nice there, some would argue that in the summer, but what makes Florida unique to me are the cypress trees, are the alligators, are the snakes, are the amphibians, are the birds, you know? And I think that these are the interactions and these are the things that we should get to know better.